the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show, the 15th of April. Now, this, of course, is tax day. Well, at least tax day 1.0 for those who've yet to file. There's been an extension given our pandemic, but thought I'd mention it anyway. Death and taxes, two things you can count on. Taking a look at uh, some of the headlines today, President Trump announced at the White House Coronavirus News Conference yesterday that the U.S. will immediately halt all funding for the World Health Organization, saying it had put political correctness over life-saving measures. The president said plans to ease the national economic shutdown were being finalized and that he would be authorizing governors to reopen their states to reopen as they see fit. At the same time, the president made clear he was not going to put any pressure on governors to reopen. He said a long list of names of people in business, healthcare, and sports who will advise him on how to restart the economy is also being put together. We'll have um, to get our uh, sports back, the president remarked, and he tried. To, he said, "I'm trying to. I'm tired, rather, of watching baseball games that are 14 years old." Well, today on the program, we're going to talk with Amy Venzel. She's teaching 14-year-olds. She's the president of Columbia Christian School. She's going to join us to talk about how they're navigating the new normal. As you may know, Columbia Christian is one of our faithful advertisers, and we want to let you know some of the challenges they face in their effort to continue providing a Christian education for young people in our community. We'll also talk with Pastor Rich Jones. Pastor Jones is from Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. We'll talk about all kinds of things related to um, Novid, the, the uh, novel coronavirus, its impact on Easter, how it impacts him as a pastor. And we'll talk about, um, you know, some of the questions people are asking, where is God in all of this and how should I interpret these events? So we'll see what he has to say. Well, Vice President Mike Pence told the Ingram Angle in an exclusive interview on Tuesday that President Trump will recommend loosening coronavirus-induced restrictions on the U.S. economy at a responsible moment. President Trump made it very clear that he wants to reopen the American economy, economy rather, but he wants to do it at a time that is responsible and can be safe for the American people. The vice president said we are going to produce new guidance for states across the country uh, to know when that will be possible. The vice president spoke to Ingram hours after the White House Coronavirus Task Force member, Dr. Anthony Fauci, told the Associated Press that the administration's May 1st target to loosen the federal coronavirus guidelines was a bit overly optimistic. And a state lawmaker in Georgia drew backlash from fellow Democrats on Tuesday after endorsing President Trump for re-election. State Representative Vernon Jones, whose Atlanta-area district includes parts of DeKalb and Rockdale counties, argued that the president's policies have helped him and other African Americans. It's very simple to me, Jones said, according to the Atlantic Journal-Constitution. President Trump's handling of the economy, his support for historically black colleges, and his criminal justice initiatives drew me to endorse his campaign. Well, the CDC's director says we're nearing the peak Daily death tolls, after climbing for some time, seem to have leveled off at around 2,000, though these data are often revised as more deaths are reported. 
The much-watched Washington or University of Washington model says we're a few days past the peak of deaths and hospital usage. Estimates of the virus's reproductive number in the U.S. from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine are headed toward one, the magical threshold beneath which the problem starts to decline rather than spread further. Daily new cases, so one of the last charts available, continue to decline. An interesting note, one hospital began testing women who came to, uh, came to the hospital to give birth. 15% had the coronavirus. Very few showed any symptoms, however. Not sure what the correlation, causation explanation would be. Well, efforts to reopen the economy could take months. Optimism aside, the story explains within Trump circles, officials say that there is acknowledgement that it will not be possible for the president to simply flip a switch. A return to normal likely will take many months, administration officials said, and should be orchestrated methodically and guided by medical data. For instance, officials are considering beginning with areas deemed to have the lowest risk of a major outbreak, according to the Washington Post. And a detailed paper put together by, among others, uh, Lanny Chen and Avik Roy, explains it is essential that we develop a strategy to reopen the economy for both the optimistic and pessimistic scenarios. That is to say, even if we fail to achieve near ubiquitous testing and effective uh, antiviral treatments, the plan includes reopening schools, lifting stay-at-home orders for uh, most non-elderly while continuing to prohibit large group gatherings. Dr. Scott Gottlieb details what he believes must happen to reopen the country gradually, and Hugh Hewitt, he looks at the um, Hawley proposal and why he believes it's an idea that uh, we need to consider one of those proposals to get the uh, economy working again. Well, the Justice Department has intervened in a Mississippi church lawsuit. The Justice Department is siding with Temple Baptist Church in Greenville, Mississippi, after Greenville police officers began issuing $500 tickets to the congregants who refused to leave the parking lot where the church was holding a drive-in service. In the statement of interest obtained exclusively by Fox News on Tuesday, the Justice Department said the U.S. regularly files statements of interest on important issues of religious liberty in courts at every level, from trial courts to the Supreme Court of the United States. It noted that Attorney General Bill Barr has issued comprehensive guidance in uh, interpreting religious liberty protections under the Constitution. And just a reminder, these people were following the guidelines that had been broadly issued. Ted Cruz wrote an op-ed piece um, in which he said, while cities have the authority to prevent large gatherings during a pandemic, they can't permanently ban faith communities. And while public health may require a city to prohibit in-person gatherings, it is an absurdity to apply that ban to First Amendment protective drive-through church services. And had you not brought this to the forefront, I wouldn't be here today to even have this conversation with you and talk about the needs of Detroit and talk about the people who really need this, Mrs. Witsit said. Well, a Michigan Democrat spoke, uh, speaking to the president said, your talk on hyd- um, hydroxychloroquine saved my life. Um, meanwhile, Democrat Vernon Jones, a black Georgia state representative, explained why he's supporting the president. These are troubling turns for the Democrats. U.S. colleges received nearly a billion dollars from China, Russia, and Saudi Arabia, and didn't report it from the Astorian campus reform. Uh, Previously, they had reported the investigation launched by the Department of Education into Harvard and Yale's undisclosed foreign gifts. Since then, the Clarion Project has revealed that more than $10 billion has flowed from foreign countries to colleges and universities from the United States since 2012. However, a significant portion of those gifts remain undisclosed. 
Nikki Haley says uh, more than $140 million in funding from China to 48 universities, 281 contracts have gone undisclosed. Colleges and universities failed to report nearly a billion in foreign gifts between 2013 and 2018. And a new study claims that 44% of Americans are lonelier than ever. With so much unpredictability, 68% said they feel like everything is out of control. 53% of respondents wish they had tips on how to better take care of their mental health during this challenging time. And inmates are being released due to the coronavirus concerns um, and uh, One individual, one day after being released, is now being accused of murder and had to be incarcerated again. That's one case, not painting with a broad brush. Well, the U.K. is telling women, um, uh, one woman rather, her love of a chandelier is not a protected sexual orientation. She filed a complaint over a newspaper making light of her declaration. I'll leave it at that. On this day in history, 2019, a massive fire engulfs Paris Notre Dame Cathedral as it is undergoing renovations, severely damaging one of the greatest architectural treasures of the Western world. 1865, President Abraham Lincoln dies nine hours after being shot the night before by John Wilkes Booth at Ford's Theater in Washington. Andrew Johnson becomes the nation's 17th president. On this day in history, 1912, the British luxury liner RMS Titanic sinks in the North Atlantic off Newfoundland more than two and a half hours from hitting an iceberg. 1,514 people would die while fewer than half as many survived. 1945, during World War II, British and Canadian troops liberate the Nazi concentration camp Bergen-Belsen. 1947, Jackie Robinson's baseball's first black major league player makes his official debut with the Brooklyn Dodgers and opening day at Ebbets Field. 1959, Cuban leader Fidel Castro arrives in Washington to begin a goodwill tour of the United States. And in 1985, South Africa says it would repeal laws prohibiting sex and marriage between whites and non-whites. 1989, students in Beijing launch a series of pro-democracy protests. The demonstrations would culminate in a government crackdown at Tiananmen Square. I remember it well. On this day in history, 1998, Pol Pot, the notorious leader of the Khmer Rouge, dies at age 72, evading prosecution for the deaths of two million Cambodians. And 2009, tens of thousands of protesters stage tea parties around the country to tap into the collective angst stirred up by a bad economy, government spending, and bailouts. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Amy Vincell. She's the president of Columbia Christian School with an inspiring message about how they're managing all of this. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're all living with this new normal that's the result of a pandemic. And we have, throughout the uh, last couple of weeks, been talking with folks who are advertisers here on KPDQ and our sister stations to get a glimpse into the challenges they face uh, during this pandemic. And today we're going to talk with Amy Vinzel. She's the president of Columbia Christian School. They um, have been uh, in our community for a number of years. It's a beautiful 13-acre campus located in northeast Portland, just off of I-84, I-205, the interchange. And their mission is to provide a Christ-centered education that's focused on excellence in faith, character, and academics. Things for them, like for the rest of us, has changed have changed significantly. So, Amy, I'm glad to have you with us. And let me just begin by asking you to, to talk about how you're doing. Hi, Georgine. Thank Hi. you. Um, I'm doing well and finding a lot of blessing in in a moment of, of slowing down 
and learning how to navigate digitally, right? And so staying connected to faculty, staff, and our students and parents um, using um, digital uh, learning, distance learning. And so I'm, I'm peaceful and I'm, I'm trying to be content under the circumstances. Well, that's encouraging to hear, and that's the attitude all of us should adopt, as challenging as sometimes it may be. Well, tell us about how Columbia Christian is functioning at this point. Now, you're doing distance learning. Uh, what does it mean to have the school closed down, not only for the this academic school year, but for next year and enrolling new students? Mm-hmm. So um, Columbia has been um, using digital learning with our high school students for the last three years. We received a grant from the Cox Foundation, and so all of our high school students were able to go one-to-one with iPads. So we have integrated digital learning um, throughout our high school over the last three years and have incorporated some digital learning days so that students have the ability to do learning at home through the school year. And then when we have those inclement weather days, they're equipped to do learning from home. So the distance learning for high school was pretty seamless. The challenge came with how to support our middle school and our elementary students with distance learning. And so we were able to um, have a little bit of time to prepare for that um, the week before spring break, so that third week of March, and teachers worked collaboratively to create work packets for elementary and middle school. Mm -hmm. Middle school quickly got educated on using Google Classroom and Zoom. And then elementary um, teachers worked with families um, to create online platforms as well to stay connected. So those are some of the things that, that we have been doing that have really been successful as parents provide feedback of just their appreciation and gratitude that their kids um, have continued to learn over the last month. Oh, that's incredibly encouraging to hear. Now, the challenges of finishing this academic school year, which we now know uh, because the governor has announced schools will not be reopening before the summer break. What does right. that mean for you um, for summer and for the next academic school year, and particularly for parents who are considering Christian education for their sons and daughters in the next academic school year. Right. So we're prepared to finish strong. So Columbia wants to finish um, with integrity and with continuing to provide excellence in education. And so uh, we will do that. We will finish the school year strong and um, prepare students to be successful going into the next school year. So we're not looking at retaining students um, or, or concerned about skills that will be lacking because they have been going strong since March. As far as Building enrollment for next year, we continue to support families that are looking for private education. And so all of my meetings of new families are through Zoom. And in this particular time, families have been looking for private education specifically because of the pandemic. So because mm. our public school system was was slow in, in moving towards continuing education, there's been a lot of downtime for kids. And so there's definitely been a peak of interest in what private schools are able to provide. So for parents who would like to connect with you, and it's good to hear that you can still communicate and make plans for the future, right. what's the best way for them to uh, to connect and to learn more? Yes, yeah, so they can go online at CCS 
at ColumbiaChristian.com. And we are happy to um, schedule, um, we call them educational success consultations. And our admissions director, Carrie Rude, works to set those up where I can talk with families and learn about what they're looking for, what they value, and see if Columbia is a good fit. They can also email Carrie Rude directly at C R U D E at ColumbiaChristian.com. Now, along with the quarantine that we're all under, there's been an economic downturn as well. And for many families, they're not really sure what the future might hold in terms of uh, their own household economy. If there is that level of uncertainty, is it still wise to engage in that conversation and um, and plan for the future? Uh, I mean, obviously, this is not going to last forever. But for some families, this has been a real economic challenge. What do you say to those families? Right. So Columbia doesn't want finances to be a barrier to provide a Christ-centered education. And we work diligently to provide financial aid support. And especially during this COVID time, um, we have worked to gather and recruit supporters um, to support families that have been impacted by the pandemic. And so we absolutely want to encourage families to pursue a a valuable Christ-centered education. And if that's what they desire, we want to partner with them and help them for that to become a reality for their family. So Columbia gives a lot of scholarship award to families that have a need base. And and so this is definitely a time where people have needs. So I would absolutely take the step of faith and pursue. Now, as you know, families, perhaps for the first time in their history, are spending more time together than not And for some parents, that is a tremendous challenge. Any advice for parents and, for that matter, students um, who might feel a little anxious during this season, not perhaps fully understanding what's happening and uh, feeling a little fearful? What advice can you give to, to parents as well as to children? Yeah. You know, for adults, it's it's much easier for us to understand what's happening around us and then just try to cope and to do things that kind of boost our morale and get us exercising and doing activity. For our kids and for the littles, really giving them an opportunity to have conversation about how they're feeling and just listening. And, you know, they hear adults around them talking and they hear things on the news, which just kind of creates a fear. And so you want to dispel that fear and engage them in activity and playing games and kind of come at their level and answer their questions directly, not give more than what they're asking, but just be consistent. You know, kids need a strong routine, they need structure, and they need your support. And so engaging those conversations is really important. Well, again, we're talking about Columbia Christian School, where they have a heart to serve young people and do it so well. They provide a Christ-centered education. They focus on excellence in faith, in character, and academics. And if you would like to uh, be in touch to consider the possibility of uh, having your children attend Columbia Christian in this next academic school year, or as you pointed out, families who are interested now because Uh, Some of the other public schools have lagged a bit behind. I would encourage you to do just that. What do you see the future of Columbia Christian once the pandemic has has waned and we're back to um, being in closer proximity to one another and a new school year is about to begin? 
How do you see that unfolding? I see celebration. Everyone is anxious to be back at school, on campus, and with their school family. And so I anticipate a lot of celebration and excitement towards coming through difficult times. And so we're excited to provide those opportunities. And for your graduating seniors, I know this is a disappointment for many who uh, will not have the opportunity to engage in so many of the activities that we all look back on with fondness. Any plans for your seniors uh, once this changes for us? Absolutely. I just had a faculty conversation yesterday about thinking creatively in how we want to honor our seniors as they graduate and move on. And so we're working to provide opportunity to celebrate with our seniors outside the box thinking on on what are the different things that we are able to do, right? And not focus on the things that we can't do, but really give them honor at where honor is due. And so we're excited to engage in conversation with seniors. We want them to be a part of that planning and to make them feel special and honored as they leave Columbia. Well, Amy, I appreciate so much you and the faculty uh, and staff at Columbia Christian continuing to minister to and provide education to your students and to offer opportunities for others who are interested. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us and stay safe, please. We need you. Thank you, Georgine. I appreciate (laughs) it. Yes, and God bless you. You as well. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back, so stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. just want to mention Oregon has reported three more deaths, 33 new coronavirus cases in the latest to figures released this afternoon. Uh, Oregon's 56th COVID-19 death is an 82-year-old man in Marion County. He tested positive on April the 3rd, died on the 10th at Saniam Hospital. He had underlying medical conditions. Oregon's 57th COVID-19 death is an 84-year-old woman in Multnomah County who tested positive on the 30th of March and died on the 12th at Adventist Medical Center. She had underlying medical conditions. And Oregon's 58th COVID-19 death is a 92-year-old woman in Multnomah County who tested positive on April 9th, died on the 12th at her residence. She had underlying conditions as well. Uh, Note all three elderly, so we need to take great pains to protect those uh, among us who are um, elderly. Three cases previously reported in Washington County were reclassified, and two of the cases were removed from And one was transferred to Washington State after residency was confirmed as the effort to keep a tally on the number of uh, deaths in the state of Oregon, as well as um, new coronavirus cases. Again, Oregon reports three more deaths, 33 new coronavirus cases. Oregon's statewide total is now 1,663 cases of COVID-19. I had an opportunity earlier to um, watch a documentary. I've been talking about it here on the program no safe spaces. I've watched the trailer and I had seen various parts of it. I know the uh, the uh, two presenters, Adam Carolla and uh, Dennis Prager, who's a broadcaster here, a syndicated radio host here in Salem Communications. But I got to see the whole thing for the first time. And I'm telling you, this is a documentary you need to see. I mentioned it, you know, you'll, you're going to laugh in places, you're going to cry in places, but it is a sobering reminder, putting in context the seriousness of the undermining of the freedom of speech in our country and the extent to which some young people are willing to go on college campuses to prevent that from happening. 
to think that these are the young people who are going to populate the institutions and become the leaders of the future makes this a very serious issue. And I would suggest if you're looking for content that is meaningful, that will be useful for years to come, No Safe Spaces is the uh, documentary to see. It's about free speech, and uh, it it has far-reaching implications than you might imagine. Now, I want to let you know that uh, Salem Communications, for the first time, is now streaming this video because of its political content, challenging the status quo and political correctness that undermines freedom of speech. They've had a hard time finding some of the uh, usuals to make this uh, available on their platform. So Salem has stepped up, and they're making it available to you at a price of $19.95. But with um, KPDQ listeners, you can use the discount code SAVE25 and save 25% off of that. Again, it's No Safe Spaces. You can find it at nosafespaces.com. And I highly recommend it. You should see it with your family. It is very sobering. But it also gives us hope that once we understand the nature of the problem, something can be done to resolve it. Nosafespaces.com. Hope you'll uh, take the time to check that out. Well, Senator Elizabeth Warren on Wednesday endorsed Joe Biden for president more than a month after ending her own presidential bid, becoming the latest prominent Democrat to fall in line behind the presumptive nominee and a bid to show unity. Yesterday, it was former President Barack Obama. Today, Elizabeth Warren. And of course, uh, Bernie Sanders a day or so before. In this moment, she said, in this moment of crisis, it's more important than ever that the next president restores America's faith in good, effective government. And I've seen Joe Biden help our nation rebuild. Today, I'm proud to endorse, she retweeted along with a video. It's always comical to me to uh, witness politicians change their tune when it's in their interest to do so. Now, party unity, I understand, is important. Uh, but the criticisms that were made during the campaign season and now falling in line and the compliments that are made today kind of put politics in its place as unreliable in terms of determining whether or not someone is, in fact, um, fit. Now, you may have already uh, had the your bank account populated with money from the IRS, or it may still be on the way, but the IRS stimulus checks are um, making their way. In fact, I think James Blinn told me earlier today that he had his in, the, uh, in his account. But there's now an online tracker that the IRS has made available several days early. They announced uh, over Easter weekend the first economic impact payments, also known as coronavirus stimulus checks, were already beginning uh, to be deposited into some taxpayer bank accounts as of today, April 15th. Uh, about 80 million Americans will have received those payments. I was not among them, just saying. Now the IRS has an online tool where you can track those payments as well as update your bank account uh, information online. So who's getting the money first? These are the people, uh, the ones who filed returns in 2018 or 2019, received funds through direct deposit. People who don't um, file taxes are uh, very low uh, income or older uh, Americans and don't need to file they're going to have uh, have to wait for their money. Any paper checks should go uh, out starting early May. So that gives you some indication of what you might expect. Well, the president announced at the White House coronavirus news briefing in the Rose Garden um, Tuesday that the United States will immediately halt all funding for the World Health Organization, saying it had put political correctness over life-saving measures. Also at the briefing, the president said plans to ease the national economic shutdown were being finalized and that he would be authorizing governors to reopen their states to reopen as they see fit. 
At the same time, he made clear that he was not going to put any pressure on governors to reopen. The president read a long list of names of people in business, health, sports, who are going to advise him on how to restart the economy. It's kind of an unwieldy group. Let's hope they're constructive. He said, we have to get uh, our sports back. He remarked, I'm tired of watching baseball games that are 14 years old. Well, in the meantime, he declared that the United States would undertake a 60 to 90 day investigation into why the China centric WHO World Health Organization had caused so much death by severely mismanaging and covering up the coronavirus spread, its origin, including making the disastrous decision to oppose travel restrictions on China. The United States is the WHO's largest single donor. And the State Department had previously planned to provide about $893 million in the current two-year funding period. The administration said the United States contributes roughly four to $500 million per year, while China offers only $40 million. Uh, the money saved will go to areas that most need it, the president asserted. Well, the United States is far ahead of other countries in contributions to the World Health Organization this year. So perhaps if they can resolve their issues fairly soon, that funding can be restored. But at this point, there are some big questions that need to be answered. Gordon Chang suggested that the president's uh, decision to suspend funding was the right decision. He uh, writes that President uh, Trump has, uh, was right to announce Tuesday that he will immediately stop funding for the World Health Organization, which was scheduled to receive the $893 million from the U.S. The president's actions is the first step needed to spark meaningful reform at the United, uh, United Nations Organization and the global health architecture. Trump last week signaled he was unhappy with the WHO in an interview aired on the 7th. Uh, he suggested the U.S. might stop contributing to the organization. By Tuesday, the president had seen enough. So much death has been caused by their mistakes, Trump said of the WHO. He is absolutely correct, Gordon Chang says. The World Health Organization helped spread the coronavirus in four principal ways. First, in public, the, WHO, uh, the World Health Organization, or WHO, um, disseminated China's false narrative that the virus was not transmissible person to person. The UN organization, however, knew or should have known the Chinese government was not telling the truth. Among other things, Taiwan on the 31st of December told the UN body and suspected the pathogen was contagious in it, this fashion, and the World Health Organization professionals also knew that to be the case. Second, the World Health Organization in its public statement supported the Chinese government's attempt to prevent the imposition of travel bans and quarantines on travelers from China. It was these travelers who turned an epidemic in central China into a global pandemic. Third, the World Health Organization publicly backed the reliability of Beijing statistics. China's substantial undercounting of the coronavirus cases and deaths lulled the U.S. into not taking precautions it would otherwise have adopted. Uh, Dr. Deborah Burks, the White House coronavirus coordinator, said on the 31st of March that her team reviewed China's statistics and thought the coronavirus outbreak would be no worse than SARS. And in 2002-2003 epidemic that affected more than 8,000 people in 26 countries. It was not until she saw the coronavirus strike Italy and Spain that the White House realized the truth. The coronavirus was far more dangerous than the Chinese government had claimed by then. It was too late. And fourth, the World Health Organization unreasonably delayed declaring the coronavirus epidemic a public health emergency of international concern until the 30th of January. The World Health Organization, uh, President Trump correctly said on Tuesday, failed its basic duty and must be held accountable. There is no nation in a position to hold the World Health uh, Organization accountable other than the U.S., which gives the WHO far more money than does any other 
country. It's also worth noting that in the effort to uh, establish the new leader for the World Health Organization, one of the charges against him was that in his native Ethiopia that he was guilty of um, doing the same thing in his country in the role that he played as a health official. So these are the reasons that the president has given for making that decision. Meanwhile, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has blasted the president's decision to freeze that funding, vowing on Wednesday to swiftly challenge the action amid the coronavirus crisis, that ever-lengthening list of challenges coming from Nancy Pelosi and others, Chuck Schumer kowtowing to her and others as well. We'll see what happens next, as the president so often says. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. Quick break, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, what would happen, what will happen, since the Trump administration pulled its majority funding from the World Health Organization? Now, that doesn't mean it will never be restored. It might mean that some adjustments have to be made. We don't know. Uh, it is important to note that the United States gives 10 times the amount of money to the World Health Organization than does China. Uh, so that does put it into perspective. Um, uh, President Trump uh, has threatened and now followed through uh, with this um, notion of withholding fun- uh, funding. Dr. Roger Bates says in the short run, not a lot will change um, because the WHO management will hope for a change in leadership in November and or that other nations fill the void. Uh, another visiting scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and an expert on public health and emerging markets says that budgets and fiscal years are uh, months um, uh, away, so they uh, wouldn't feel the problem for a while. So withdrawing the funding today does not mean the World Health Organization is crippled uh, if it were to be uh, withheld over longer periods of time, which can be avoided if appropriate adjustments are, are made and uh, accurate information then that might be a different story. But in the short term, it should not have much of an impact on the organization's functions, which also tells you the United States is uh, certainly bearing an overweight size uh, of the burden of funding that organization. It's not the only Western country that could afford to do uh, more. Well, U.S. researchers have opened another safety test of an experimental COVID-19 vaccine. This one using a skin-deep shot instead of the usual deeper jab. The pinch should feel like a simple skin test, they say. Uh, researchers told the volunteers uh, who were having the shot. It's the most important trial that we've ever done. Dr. John Irvin of the Center for Pharmaceutical Research says people are beating down the door to get into this trial. The experiment using a vaccine candidate developed by Envio Pharmaceuticals as part of a global hunt for much needed protection against a virus that's triggered an economic shutdown and forced people indoors as countries try to uh, stem the tide. And researchers have discovered uh, what they described as a significant mutation of the novel coronavirus, which they believe raises the alarm that the research uh, for a, a vaccine could become futile down the line. So it's not altogether surprising that mutations take place, but this they're describing as a significant mutation. The study published in the uh, biorivis.org repository notes Researchers are able to analyze a sample of SARS-CoV-2 from India on January 27th, found a mutation that leads to weaker receptor binding capability. The receptor is known as ACE2, is an enzyme in a person's lungs. The discrepant, uh, well, I won't go into all the details. The research hasn't yet been peer-reviewed, but despite the ominous discovery, the researchers were also able to discover that SARS-CoV-2 
has a much lower mutation rate and uh, genetic diversity than severe acute respiratory syndrome, or SARS, which appeared in China in 2002. So just a, just a hint of a silver lining in a very troubling uh, development. Between 10 and 20% of U.S. coronavirus cases are healthcare workers, we've just learned, though they tended to be hospitalized at lower rates than other patients. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported the first national data on how the pandemic is hitting doctors, nurses, and other healthcare professionals. The data is important new information, but not necessarily surprising. Dr. Ann um, Shuchat, who is running the federal agency's response to the outbreak, says medical staff have also been hit hard in other countries. Media reports said about 10% of cases in Italy and Spain were healthcare workers. As of the middle of last week, the CDC has reports of more than 315,000 cases in the U.S. The new report focuses on about 49,000 for which researchers had data on whether or not they worked in healthcare. About 9,300 or 19% of them were medical professionals. That included 27 who died. The data varied in how complete it was, researchers said, in 12 states that did a better job reporting on whether patients worked in medicine. Around 11% of cases were healthcare workers. Compared with U.S. cases overall, larger proportions of diagnosed healthcare workers were women, were white, and were young or middle aged adults. That's consistent with the demographics. Of who works in healthcare, according to researchers. About 10% of the healthcare workers were hospitalized with symptoms compared to 21 to 31% of overall cases. That may reflect the younger age of the workers as well as prioritization of testing for healthcare employees. So as you're praying about all of this, remember to keep those healthcare workers in your prayers as well who are on the front lines. They are vulnerable and are willing to put themselves in harm's way in order that we might get the treatment that is necessary. They really are um, at the top of the list of uh, the growing list of heroes. Also, we learned just hours ago that Oregon is reporting three more deaths, 33 new cases of uh, the coronavirus uh, pandemic as well. Well, the shortage of tests for diagnosing COVID-19, like other aspects of the public health crisis, has drawn attention to the U.S. government's emergency powers. Well, in the last few weeks, the Food and Drug Administration in particular, they've taken a series of actions to address COVID-19, the disease caused by this new coronavirus. Well, the administration declaration of a public health emergency back in January triggered provisions in the law that permits the FDA to exercise greater discretionary authority in meeting its responsibilities to approve and regulate medical products. And we've seen that uh, being carried out uh, already. The purpose of those emergency provisions is to ensure that the statutory standards that would stand under any other circumstances and the requirements that the Food and Drug Administration is tasked with administering don't become impediments to quickly getting patients and healthcare providers the medical products they need in an emergency. Now, when it comes to regulating medical products like drugs and devices and tests, the Food and Drug Administration or the FDA's uh, congressionally mandated responsibilities can be summarized as ensuring that the product works as intended and that the product information provided by the manufacturer to doctors and patients is complete, is accurate, and based on sound science. Well, Congress has given the Food and Drug Administration authority to determine whether medical products may be sold in the U.S. That authority extends to every new product, even if it's just a copy of one already on the market, such as a new version of a generic drug, for example, or as a modification to an existing product, such as adding remote monitoring functionality to a ventilator. 
both relevant in this case. Well, the FDA also, they regulate the content and wording of the information that manufacturers provide, both to consumers, such as medication guidelines or the advertisements that we are being inundated by, and to physicians and other medical professions. The product's label. Well, normally, the Food and Drug Administration, they require that a product's approval and associated information be supported by data from controlled clinical trials that are designed to prove the product's effectiveness in treating one or more conditions and to identify any safety issues associated with using that product. Um, Also important is what the FDA does not do. Although the uh, agency regulates what manufacturers say about their products, it doesn't regulate how medical providers use medical products or what they say or publish about their use of those products. Well, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, the FDA has issued emergency use authorizations under provisions of the law that allow the agency during a public health emergency to make exceptions to the standards it normally is tasked with applying. Now, emergency use authorizations, they're not a different regulatory process, but they reflect temporary adjustments to the FDA standard practices. And under both normal and emergency conditions, they are tasked with answering the same basic questions. Does the possible benefit outweigh the possible harm? And that is the position they currently find themselves in attempting to provide a resource in this um, a pandemic that has the potential to end so many lives. Well, in the midst of all of this, dozens of Christian colleges, high schools, and um, seminaries, Bible colleges have banded together to form an alliance uniting all sectors of Christian education to address the mutual challenges they face in an increasingly secular culture. Says the International Alliance for Christian Education, over the last several years, I think a variety of people have been recognizing that various sectors of Christian education have been facing similar challenges. The Chancellor of Trinity International University and President of the New Alliance says, we realize that K-12 through schools are addressing these challenges, and so are Bible colleges and uh, Christian colleges and seminaries. We'd never worked together because we thought we had our own issues and our own demographic context in which to serve. And we thought that perhaps we could link arms and address some of the challenges better in a synergistic way. Well, that uh, is no longer uh, the case. They are now together, working together for a common purpose. He said that no organization or network in the past has tried to bridge Christian primary schools, secondary schools, gap year programs, seminaries and colleges. We've always kind of worked in our own silos. So this is an attempt to link Christian education as a whole. Again, the International Alliance for Christian Education, just recently formed. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, we'll be back. And when we do, we'll talk with um, Rich Jones, pastor of Calvary Chapel. We've got news and weather coming up. Actually, it's news and traffic, if there is any. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. Welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is uh, producing Clark Hilton Engineering. And, of course, we are sheltering in place, which means things are a little different. I uh, introduced a guest yesterday on the program and actually introduced the wrong guest from a later time in the program. It's just a little disorienting. I think I may have said yesterday, welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. So we're trying to acclimate ourselves to uh, the new normal, as uh, are many of you. I am so excited to have a conversation with Pastor Rich Jones from Calvary Chapel Hillsboro, just to talk about how he and his family and church are 
adjusting to the new normal and also to find some encouragement and some insight into how we view these events that have unfolded in an unprecedented way. And I know that word is um, is being used quite a bit, but I think it applies in this case. So, Pastor Rich, I am just delighted to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. And uh, this is very different and unusual. That is most certain. But God is using it at the same time. So I'm eager to see what God's going to do out of all this. You know, the truth is God is always at work. We don't see it. We may not be looking. We may not hear it. But he's always at work in ways that are unexpected. Before we start to talk more about that, I'd like to ask you how you and your family are faring with this uh, pandemic and sheltering in place. Well, thank you. It's, uh, you know, there's some good parts to it, right? We get to hang out together more. Actually, we're enjoying that part. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we have our, we've adopted our granddaughter. So. Yes. Uh, we're back to parenting mode again, and so we've got a, a seventh grader who now is doing homeschool, and uh, so, you know, we're back to that mode also. That's kind of challenging, but fun. You know, there's just some, I guess it's all your uh, matter of perspective. I, I, we see it as, as some fun, and uh, we're playing uh, together more, you know, uh, taking walks together, hanging out together, making a lot more meals together, mm-hmm. um, playing ping pong, you know, we were playing Macala last night and just having fun. So, you know, there's a good part to it. Of course, there's a serious part. I don't mean to make light of it, but we, we see an opportunity also for connection and family. So we, we like that part. Yeah, that's the part that we can control, the our attitude about what's happening and how we make the most of the time that we have together. Now, it had to have been surreal for you to have conducted services over the uh, uh, Holy Week and Resurrection Sunday from a remote location without your congregation around you. I know for me as a parishioner, it, it's, it's so uh, peculiar to be at home, although we had a wonderful Resurrection Sunday morning, we visited several churches uh, via technology. But what was that like for you um, to preside over Easter week uh, from a remote location? Well, this has been absolutely the most unusual Resurrection celebration we've ever had. In fact, I think if you go back throughout the history of the world, I mean, since Christ was raised from the dead, there's never been a Resurrection celebration like this one. Uh, this has been so unusual and uh, yet so remarkable because there is such a longing right now. There's just such a searching. Um, we, through technology, can reach right into people's homes, of course, mm-hmm. and um, we are reaching more through this technology than we could reach live. Of course, Easter services are always packed and always full of celebration, but this one is definitely different, but we're reaching people, and I think that's the key. People are looking right now. There's such a there's such a longing for a foundation, for hope, for answers, and uh, and I'm I'm just so thankful that we have the technology to be able to reach right into their homes. I don't know what they did 100 years ago. Huh. You yeah, know, when you had yeah. the 1918 pandemic, I guess people just stayed home and read their Bibles. Which is not a bad thing at all. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But, you know, there's something you miss. You know, you yes. you just miss the, the connection. You know, church is a lot more than, than just hearing a sermon. I mean, that's wonderful to hear a, a wonderful scripture-filled sermon. It feeds the soul. But also fellowship does, mm-hmm. too. I mean, we need each other. That's the whole thing. We need each other as a church. And, and there's just something 
about being together that just brings a, a, a magnification of the presence of the Spirit, you know, because it's like, you know, a fire is greater when the logs are closer together, but now we've got to socially distance. And I think that the potential, the danger, is that the fire can grow cold in people's hearts. And so that's why, to me, the church right now is absolutely essential in people's lives. And there's a lot of searching. There's a lot of looking for hope today. Yeah, there really is. In fact, Google and some of the other search engines have confirmed that people are looking more into subjects like prayer. Uh, the, the purchase of Bibles has gone up dramatically, we're being told. People are are looking. And there is a longing, as you uh, and I discussed before the program began, a longing in the human heart for hope. I think there are certain things that we thought were predictable that are uh, this a certain level of stability was expected. And when there is a shaking like this, it undermines right. our confidence in perhaps some healthy ways because our, that independence can drive us away from God and away from one another. But what are you seeing in, in response to that, that longing that is looking for answers and looking for hope? Well, I, I think also, you know, you, you talked about kind of that shaking. I, I think in many ways this is like an earthquake in the sense that, you know, you think the earth is solid until it starts shaking under your feet. And I think that that's a great description of what's happening. And uh, it, it, the world, I mean, the whole world is being upset by this. And, and so because we're sheltered in place, because we're all, you know, staying at home, it's, it's upset the normal cycle of life. And here's the good part about that. I think that people get so busy just in the doing of life, you know, get up, go to work, you know, do the, 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 the standard things you do in the day, come home and you make dinner and, you know, you watch a little TV or hang out with your family a little and then go to bed and then you do it all over again. I think that that can become so much of a routine that people, they forget the important things of life and the, the, the connection to one another, but also the connection to God. And when your world gets upset, boy, you start reprioritizing real fast. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what's happened. It's, it's causing people to assess again what's really important about life. And, and I think that, A, you start with my relationship to God, and there's a, a tremendous hunger in, I want to get right with God now. I mean, there's just, uh, you can just sense that. People are just searching. I want to get right with God, and I need answers. I think that's the other thing is, what does this mean? You know, people are, are trying to understand, what does this mean biblically? What does this mean prophetically? And, and uh, to me, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity because people are looking and longing. It has upset everyone but that's so good. I just really think this is good in that sense. I mean, there's a lot of tragedy. I do not want yeah. to minimize the tragedy when we lose one person over this. We've lost too much. But at the same time, I think that when when life becomes so different and your world is turned upside down, it, it just causes you to, to look for hope. And I'm so thankful that we have the the scriptures to give us that hope, the Holy Spirit to reassure us of that hope, and uh, that we can just speak into people's lives because uh, there's a there's such a, a longing for an answer to anxiety. 
See, I think yes. people have to confront them, their own hearts now. There's a lot of anxiety in people's hearts. And there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of worry. Well, this is an opportunity to, to begin to confront that in ourselves. Fear and worry is, is the opposite of faith. And so Jesus spoke of that. Uh, the Apostle Paul spoke of that. And um, so it's, it's causing us to really reassess again, where do we find our hope? And, and praise God, he's using this as an opportunity for revival. And I think that those people who were nominal Christians are going to become deeper Christians. And those who have not become Christians are looking for hope and answers. There are many who are coming to faith right now through this, right. this situation. So That's God right. can use it. You know, he, he can bring beauty out of ashes, as I know from my own personal life. God is able to bring beauty out of ashes. He's able to bring victory out of uh, out of uh, difficulties, and uh, He's doing it. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. We're talking with Pastor Rich Jones. He's the pastor at Calvary Chapel Hillsboro. When we come back, we're going to talk about: Is there biblical meaning to these events? This is a worldwide pandemic. And I was uh, listening to someone speak just the other day who made the point that, you know, the whole world, and that's a slight exaggeration, but the whole world is at a standstill. And this is such an unusual coordinated effort to prevent this pandemic from spreading. What might this mean in terms of what the scriptures teach? So we'll take a quick break, but we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Pastor Rich Jones of Calvary Chapel Hillsboro. Pastor Jones, before the break, we were talking about the fact that people are, are asking questions and wondering, what does this mean in, in view of uh, what the scriptures teach? Is this a, a moment that has prophetic uh, import? Is this uh, is there something behind this? Where is God in the midst of all of this? Can you speak to that question that is uh, voiced in different ways, but is resonating in the hearts of many who are impacted by this pandemic? Yeah, I think this is really an important question because uh, I think that it's situations like this where, of course, we're looking and longing to find some kind of biblical meaning out of it, but also people can maybe take it too far, take it in yeah. the wrong direction. And uh, and I think that has also happened. Um, for example, when we look at uh, Matthew 24, when they came to the, the Lord and said, you know, what are the, the, the signs of your coming at the end of the age? When in, in Matthew 24, you know, he began to list those signs of the times, um, he, he really gave us a, a sense of what to be watching for in general terms. In Matthew 24, he does not specifically mention uh, plagues or pestilence. He does in Luke 21. But what I want you to really see, I think, in Matthew 24 and in Luke 21, which are kind of the key phrases or the key scriptures that we want to look to, I think what you really want to see is that he says these things are the beginning of birth pangs. So what I see as I look at the scriptures and, and make sense of what's happening today is that there's not necessarily a specific, this is the end times because there's been a, 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 a virus that spread around the earth. Because after all, there have been viruses that have mm -hmm. spread around the earth before. There was, the, as we know, the Spanish flu of 1918, but there was the bubonic plague, and there have been other plagues and viruses that have spread through the earth. And uh, those weren't necessarily signs of the ends of the time, because obviously much time has ha happened since then. But I think what we really 
need to see in Matthew 24 is these are the beginning of birth pangs. Because I do think that there's something different about this one in comparison to some of the other ones. What's different is that the world is different. Now the world is is much more uh, conjoined. There's much more of uh, of a sense of we're all in this together as a world. And so that, in my mind, is setting the stage for the Antichrist in the sense that you can see now that something of this nature that can upset the world could therefore require a world leader to bring an answer. So, for example, what's, what's happening today is not just about the virus. It's about the economy. That's right. It's not just about the economy of the United States. It's about the economy of the world. Because this is going to make an economic impact in every single nation of the world. And so there's going to be a, a, a recession, at least, if not a depression, that in many ways sets the stage. I'm not saying this specifically does, but it begins to show what the picture will look like when the Antichrist does arise on the scene, and there's economic turbulence that must be answered, and a world leader can arise on the scene who can bring answers that the world desperately needs. And you can see the setting of the stage. So as, as I look at the scriptures, what I see is a setting of the stage for the coming of the end of the age. As we are living through this pandemic, as we're reading the scriptures and anticipating uh, what the short-term future looks like, not to mention the long-term, how should we respond to what this may reveal about uh, the future and the coming of the Antichrist? How should we respond in our hearts um, when this is a season that cries out for fear as opposed to faith and calm? How should we respond? Well, you know, in Matthew 24, where, where he, he gives the signs of the latter days, then that's Matthew 24. Matthew 25 then gives us the answer to that question, which is, be ready. In Matthew 24, verse 42, he says, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. See, so this is really the key to it, is that this is the time for revival. This is the time to get your hearts right. And I think that inherently, in, in many people, there is in their soul that very witness. Hey, today, now, this is the time. There's a sense of urgency. Be on the alert, right? Your enemy is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The, the enemy would like to discourage you. The enemy would like to cause anxiety and fear. Now is the time to strengthen faith, to be on the alert, to be watchful. I think we should always be watchful. But whenever there's a, such an upsetting event that's uh, worldwide, I think we have to be very, very careful to be on the alert. And as I say, now's the time for revival. And I think that there's a lot of people who have a lot of questions. So I say also be ready to give an answer mm -hmm. for the hope that lies within you. I think for many of us, we assume this is the 21st century a plague. That, that word is an arcane word that would never apply to our century. We expect uh, easy and quick mm -hmm. answers. We, we expect that problems are going to be resolved easily, that uh, leaders are going to have answers quickly and be able to implement things quickly. We have no sense of our vulnerability, of our own mortality. Mm -hmm. uh, our, we, we've seen ourselves as invincible. 
And this really, I think, has shaken us to the core, recognizing that we really have far less control than we thought we did. It's, I think, uh, taken our arrogance level down a peg because we realize we don't have control. And to um, turn our eyes and our gaze toward God, who is in control, I, I saw this effort on the uh, Internet recently where people were encouraged to sing, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. It's a great uh, song that children sing, but it really is a profound message that you thought you, you know, your life was uh, was your own. Uh, but he's got the whole world in his hands, and we need to be more sober, perhaps, about how we navigate in the world, um, because things can come and go that we have very little control over, and we need to take mm-hmm. our lives seriously and that vulnerability. I could not have said that better. That is very, very well said, because that's exactly what I'm sensing as well. This boy, this humbles humanity. Yes. Right when you begin to recognize that 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 this virus. And there could be greater and more dangerous viruses still yet to come. You can just sense the the inadequacy of man. Um, I have friends in South Africa. If I was just talking with them this morning, and uh, they're saying everything is shut down. I mean, everything. You're not allowed to be out. And if you are out, you better have a receipt with you that you went to the store. You you will be arrested. It, it has so upset the entire world because of a virus and how soon are we going to have an answer i mean we were talking about our uh, your mom and my uncle that are 89 mm-hmm. who are going to have to be sheltering in place for how many months maybe a year and the inadequacy of man to answer boy this is a very humbling thing but it yeah. also to me it also drives back to that point of you see, there's going to be so many troubles on the world that it will require the Antichrist to come and do what no man has been able to do. So that's that setting of the stage that I believe that we are seeing in these latter days. Mm-hmm. I think we are living in latter days, and I think that there's a lot of spiritual warfare, but I think that people now, we need to get a sense of where does this fit in in the big picture of things? Because I think a lot of people... I'm kind of going back to your earlier question about the biblical framework for this. I think a lot of people look to Revelation 6 and say, is this the fourth horseman of the apocalypse? To which I say, no. In my opinion, no. This is taking it too far. I think that speaks of um, the events that will be happening uh, in during the tribulation time, in the in the very latter days. But I think in many ways you can see that such a plague you know, in Revelation 6, it speaks of a fourth of mankind. Well, now you can begin to see, yes, yes that is very possible, actually. Uh, something that could even be uh, as dangerous as Ebola, which was mortal in its, in its strength. Very fortunate that it did not get further foothold than it did. But you can just see some of these viruses are, are, are extremely dangerous. I mean, you think this one is bad. There are others that are going to be much worse. Yeah, so you can yeah. see that, you know, like in Revelation 6, yeah, it actually will be so that there will be plagues and pestilences that can wipe out a fourth of mankind. Yeah, regardless of what century we're in. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation with Pastor Rich Jones from Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Pastor Rich Jones from Jones rather from Calvary Chapel Hillsboro, uh, talking about uh, how to understand these events in light of biblical truth. One of the things that uh, really struck me about all of this is that. Uh, This virus, this COVID-19 is a great equalizer. You had the prime minister from the UK who has had it. Mm -hmm. You have people whose names you've never heard of and faces you've never seen who have had it. It's a great equalizer. We may have imagined that in our fierce independence and uh, our beauty and our wealth and all of the things that we distinguish ourselves by, that we have no need of help from anyone. And this has caused all of us, I think, to recognize that Um, You know, perhaps I do need to cry out to God. Maybe there are things I don't have control over. My wealth cannot purchase for me the kind of protection um, that's necessary in this sort of a a situation. It has uh, proven to be an equalizer of us all. One of the things that you um, mentioned was that, you know, there are people who are during this season who are coming to faith in Christ who perhaps never saw their need of a savior Uh, before these events have exposed, you know, the condition, the the true conditions of our hearts, and that this may be a season of revival. Can you comment on on that, people who are coming to faith, and um, the possibility of seeing a revival in not only our land, but across the globe? Well, I think it comes back to what you were just saying. Uh, It's the great equalizer. It just shows you the inadequacy of man. So therefore, it drives you to the question, where do we find hope? Where can we find hope when, when there's such a, a rocking of the world's foundations? Where do you look? Is it government? Is, it, is, it, is the government going to be our answer? And I think most people realize, no, that's not going mm-hmm. uh, to be our answer. Politicians? No, that's not going to be it. Econ- economies? No, they are being rocked to the core. Where do we find hope? See, that's, that's what I think is driving revival today. And, and that is... Hope comes from, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. I think it makes you appreciate the almighty hand of God over all things. Now, somebody might say, well, well, where's God? Why doesn't he prevent, why doesn't he prevent these things? And I think when someone asks a question like that, I think what they're saying is they want heaven and they want heaven right now. This is Mm -hmm. not it. What they're describing is heaven, and there is such a place where there are no plagues. There is such a place where there's no weeping and gnashing of teeth. But this isn't it. This is earth. And earth is in its condition because of the rebellion of man so many years ago. See, and if you don't mind, I want to read from uh, Romans chapter 8, because I think Romans chapter 8 really answers that question, because it it gives us in chapter 8, I'm in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation itself was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to uh, corruption into the freedom of the glory of of the children of God, because we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until this. And not only this, we ourselves groan within ourselves. See, you see, it's speaking to the fact that creation itself is set under corruption because it was under the authority of man. 
there is a day where there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and all of these things will no longer be. But this is the day of salvation. This is the day to find hope in the God who gives hope in the midst of it. I mean, Jesus never said, I'll keep you from all troubles. He said, this world is filled with troubles. But take courage, I've overcome the world. I'll be with you in the midst of it. And that's what's happening right now. There is such a looking for hope because all the things that you thought you could put your hope into are broken. The economy, broken. A lot of people have lost their jobs. The government, politicians, you can go on and on. Healthcare, answers are far away. People are looking for an answer, and the answer is found in the God who gives hope in the midst of trouble. Amen. Well, let me just ask you in our our final few minutes, for anyone who's listening, who has been seeking, who's been searching and wondering, you know, God, what is it that you're trying to say to my heart? How do they how do they come to know God and reconcile that longing in their heart with the God who is pursuing them and through his son has demonstrated his love for them? What would you say to those who are seeking but have yet to find him? Well, I would say to them, God is seeking you. And, you know, I think that in many people's hearts, there's this sense of they've got to somehow find God. They've got to, you know, rise up to some great uh, spiritual pinnacle in order to arise to some great heights to find God. That's not the God of the scriptures. What we see is that God is pursuing you. I would say to anyone listening right now who is longing and searching, I would say to that person, hey, God sent his son to seek and to save that which was lost. To seek after means he is knocking on the door of your heart. He's calling out your name. And the scripture says, if anyone would hear my voice and open the door of his heart, Jesus says, I will come in, I will dine with him. That means we're going to have a relationship. I would say to that person, it's as near as your heart. It's as close as your mouth. Confess with your heart that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Invite him into your heart and you will find that he will give you the hope of heaven right now and that he will adopt you as a son or as a daughter right now. That's why you get to call God your father, because he's going to bring you into his family and give you a relationship to the living God. I know I'm going to start preaching here in a minute. That's all right. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, For listeners who want to grow in their faith, who are looking for encouragement, maybe some who have just come to faith in Christ, and of course we can't go to our local church uh, and and meet together, what's the best way for them to connect with Calvary Chapel where I can tell you you're going to get great, solid biblical teaching um, at at the... uh, at the church. So what's the best way for them to connect with you during this pandemic? Thank you. I appreciate you asking that. Our website, I think, is probably the easiest way to find us, which is simple, calvaryhillsboro.org. Absolutely, we've got many scriptures. I've been speaking recently about finding hope in the midst of all of this trouble. And I just encourage people, if you're looking for hope, you're looking for answers, I've been speaking to that on our website and would love you to to be part of that. We have an app that makes it simple also to connect it, but even on your phone. So I just invite people, if you need hope, you're looking for answers, answers are found in God's Word. I just invite you to be part of that. And again, I just want to emphasize that at Calvary Chapel, you preach the Word. I so appreciate 
uh, good biblical teaching, and you're going to find that at Calvary Chapel Hillsboro. Well, Pastor Jones, any parting words to our listeners who are like you and I, sheltering in place, trying to be obedient to the civil authorities and protect one another out of love and concern. <laughs> well, my my parting words are: I miss I miss the church. I miss you. I think I think that's the whole thing that we're all calling out to is like, hey, we miss we we come to realize how much we need each other, mm-hmm. and we just miss that, you know. And you're you're at home doing this program and. And, uh, you know, you can't connect up with your friends and me, too. I just miss the church. I just miss being with people. And uh, I cannot wait for that day when we can all be back together again. But, of course, when we're together in heaven, we're going to have a glorious reunion. I look forward to that, too. But for now, I just say to people, hey, hang in there. This is going to be over, and we're going to get together again. Yeah, and, and maybe with more grateful hearts and appreciation oh, for one another. That's right. Boy, I'll take that. I tell you what, if we could get together right now, we would be shouting hallelujah, <laughs> but we'll have to wait. We'll have to wait. Well, Pastor Jones, thank you so much for your ministry in our community and for taking the time to talk with us here today. Really, really appreciate it. Amen. Thanks for inviting. Again, Pastor Rich Jones of uh, Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro, great Bible teacher. In fact, I think he's going to fill in for me. I'm taking some time off to celebrate our 38th wedding anniversary. Oh, uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, And I love filling in for you. So take as many uh, vacations as you want. (laughs) Don't tempt me. I just might. (laughs) Thank you so much. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments to wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. I so appreciate Jan Pollock Mitchell, who has written Prayers to Pray as we approach the pandemic's peak, reminding us that with more than half of the world under stay-at-home orders, many of us are experiencing this sense that we have absolutely no control. We're feeling helpless in the face of other people's suffering. We can't even come into their presence to uh, bring comfort. Well, under normal conditions, these um, there'd be meals to be served and people to come and visit and, and so on. These are not normal days, and so we can do the one thing uh, that gives us access to the one who can make a difference. We are not powerless, not even close. One of the most effective things that we can do for our neighbors and the world over is to get down on our knees, to reach out to God, the source of help itself, and to pray. So, Uh, Some of the things that we might consider praying for in these days as we move forward in this uh, pandemic, we can pray for the church struggling with faith in the midst of global suffering. God, we believe in your willingness to heal and your power to do so. Help our unbelief. We can pray for those who have turned to faith in Jesus for the very first time during this pandemic. God, help our new brothers and sisters grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray for those who don't know Jesus but uh, yet find their hearts stirred by spiritually curious and eternal longings. God is uh, uh, in your kindness. Let many come to repentance and obedient faith in your son. Uh, For first responders and frontline healthcare workers, especially in epicenters of infection, God reinforce their ranks and strengthen them with supernatural energy. For companies with the ability and the mandate to manufacture much needed protective equipment for our frontline healthcare workers, God established the work of their hands. For transit workers, police officers, and other public servants working tirelessly, often without adequate protection, God give them stamina every day and keep them from falling ill. For nursing homes, rehabilitation centers, and other long-term care facilities, 
God encouraged the lonely residents and strengthened the staff members who helped them prevent further spread of infection and confirm comfort rather families who can no longer visit their loved ones. I think we need to remember those who are on the front lines of nursing homes, rehabilitation centers, long-term care facilities, who are working tirelessly to try to protect those under their care. We can pray for the incarcerated who are particularly vulnerable to the spread of this virus. God gave wisdom to prison officials, protect inmates and staff from both violence and illness, deliver them all from fear. For women and children in abusive situations, God restrain those who commit harm, provide protection and rescue for victims, and comfort them in their vulnerability. Pray for countries in the developing world. God contain the spread of infection in our world's most densely populated and poorest cities. Spare countries already burdened with disease and chronic poor health. Pray for Asian Americans in the United States, Africans in China, and other people all over the world subjected to COVID-related racism. God, comfort this evil, or rather confront this evil with your swift justice and deliver our brothers and sisters from cruelty. Pray for everyone anxious about the economic future, how they'll pay for housing, food, and essential medicines. God, connect them to sources for help through the church, the government, the community. Enable them to look toward you for provision. Pray for small churches without cash reserves. God, keep their doors open and urge your people to give generously. Pray for educators forced to adapt uh, curricula to online learning and for students forced to exercise more autonomy. God, make homes a place of curiosity, inquiry, and study. Give special help to children without regular access to the Internet and other digital tools. Pray for those disappointed by the cancellation of milestone celebrations like graduations, weddings, or baby showers. Comfort them in their disappointment and make it possible for them to gather again with friends and family. Pray for expectant mothers who face the prospects of labor and delivery without the support team they planned for. God, deliver them from fear and fill them with the joy as they witness new life. Pray for women facing unexpected pregnancies in a time of economic crisis. God, help them to find the practical and emotional support they need to keep them from seeking abortions. Pray for the churches, parachurch ministries, and other Christian organizations doing online evangelism and discipleship. God, bless our imperfect digital efforts and continue to advance the kingdom of Jesus through your people. Pray for those dying alone in hospitals and for their loved ones who cannot be with them. God, draw near to them and be by your mercy. Let them encounter Christ, the friend who never leaves and never forsakes. And pray uh, for those involved with politics at every level. God, help our leaders to work collaboratively and communicate efficiently, setting aside self-interest for the common good. God, we acknowledge that you spoke the world into being and continue to sustain it by your word. We trust in your wisdom. We trust in your power. We trust in your goodness. Help us at every opportunity to love you as you loved and to serve you as you serve. Give us courage to speak of the hope in Jesus. We suffer who suffered for us, rose from the dead, and is coming again. Amen. Prayers we can pray during this season of relative helplessness for those who desperately need to know Christ, to know his mercy and his peace and provision. What unusual times we find ourselves in, and yet with every challenge, God gives an opportunity and opens doors for us to draw nearer to him in deeper and more profound ways. I hope all of us are seizing those opportunities to press into him rather than to surrender to fear and a feeling of helplessness, 
to press into him and to spend time on our knees praying for the needs of others and seeking ways that we can be ministry partners as well. Unusual times and a season such as this requires extraordinary effort on our part. And sometimes that effort is just depriving ourselves of what we want the most, and that's spending time with one another in order to be a protection um, for others that we may not even know. Well, I want to thank James Blinn for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. I hope you'll join us here again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.